Well, again, um, we've been, uh, we've kind of been mentioning this morning, we've been working our way through Isaiah, and so uh, we're, we're not too far into the summer. You want to catch up where we're going? We did uh, Isaiah chapters 1 through 39 last summer, so you're going to have to read that to catch up. Uh, but we are just kind of getting started in the second half of Isaiah this summer. And um, looking at chapters 40 through 66 here over the summer, the prophet at this point is looking back at roughly 200 years of exile and beginning to see light on the other end of the tunnel, beginning to see what God is doing to bring the people out of exile, to free them. Their, their time of, um, it's, it's, it's a time out. God's put them in time out. Um, their time there in exile um, is coming to an end, and they're looking forward to that. We looked a couple weeks ago at chapter 40, which begins, comfort, O oh, comfort my people. God is, is comforting His people that this time has come to an end. Last week, we kind of took um, a bird's eye view of chapters 41 through 47, in which there's this, this trial scene happening where Yahweh's power is being questioned, where um, Israel is, is asking why God has ignored their cries. Why haven't you heard us? Why haven't you done anything? Why is this happening to us? Woe is us kind of thing. And Yahweh is responding back. I am powerful. I am the creator. I am the sustainer. I am the one who has ordered these events. I am the one in control. I have been in control. I continue to be in control. These idols and the, of Golden and wood and stone and all this other stuff aren't the things that have the power. Where were they when everything was created? Are they giving me counsel? God is asking all of these questions in this unfolding courtroom scene. God is assuring His people that they've not been ignored and that God is still guiding the historical events to bring about His purposes. And now that's being done in part through an anointed one, Cyrus of Persia, who is a pagan king, but being used by God to bring about the freedom of the Israelite people, uh, to allow them to return to Jerusalem and allow them to rebuild uh, the temple and to exercise judgment and justice on Assyria and Babylon. And now we've come to chapter 48, and this is going to segue into the need for a servant in order to continue to fulfill the mission that God has for His people. So as we take a look at uh, 48 that kind of sums up this courtroom scene and begins to do and point us towards uh, a different conversation, uh, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. God, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would comfort us, that you would speak to us in this time through your word, through us gathered, uh, through challenging and, and growing together. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. What happens uh, here at 48, like I said, is the conclusion of this courtroom scene, kind of closing arguments, as it were, uh, from God. 
In fact, it starts with, listen up, Jacob, Israel, you from Judah. He wants them to be uh, clear. He wants them to perk up their ears and listen to what God is saying. Look at verse 3, in which they're being told, the former things that I declared long ago, the things that Yahweh said was going to happen through the prophets, now they've happened. Everything that, that I talked about uh, was going to happen as a result of your unfaithfulness, as a result of your, your idol worship and your, your failure to um, live justly with one another. Because you failed this, I told you the result of this was going to be exile, and now you've lived it. Now you've experienced it. I've told you it was going to happen, and now it's happened. Yahweh had warned Israel that if they didn't remain faithful, if they didn't follow the Torah that had been handed to them, the result would be exile. Actually, the the warning of exile is embedded in the Torah itself, that that possibility is there if they fail to, to live this out. And now it's happened. Verse 4, God says, Because I know you are obstinate, neck is an iron sinew, forehead brass. If we had to put this in today's terms, you know, you are a stiff-necked, hard-headed bunch of people. It's funny how some things don't change. Stiff-necked, hard-headed. Yahweh has told them what was going to happen. Clear back in, in the Torah, part of those consequences, if Israel failed to live out the way of Yahweh, and now something new that you wouldn't have expected, that you wouldn't have predicted, something that, that I am doing new in your midst now, and especially would come as a surprise to the chosen people, to the people of Israel, to the people of Judah, something that God is doing is using Cyrus, using a pagan king to advance God's plan, God's, God's mission. Cyrus of Persia is coming to the rescue. It's interesting that Yahweh has gushed all about these people. We, we read in, in some of the passages from 41 to 47, you are my sons and daughters, I love you. We looked last week about how, how Yahweh is just so in love with these people, giving up Egypt, giving up everything to be reunited with these people. Exile is an opportunity, again, to go back to the place where we first fell in love out in the wilderness and to rekindle that, that love and, and that connection, that intimacy that we shared with one another. This is an opportunity to do that all over again. And so God is deeply, passionately in love with these people. But also, I know that you are stiff-necked, hard-headed, idol-loving, rebellious people. And I love you. So that moves then into verse 9, where God says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you. I, he's not giving them the full of what they deserve. He's, he's with, uh, withholding and, and restraining himself so that I may not cut you off. 
Now, it sounds strange to our modern ears, but what is being expressed here is God's grace. Here's what should happen to Israel. You've been completely disobedient. You have rejected and turned your back on me time and time again. And if God were to allow the full consequences to take over, what would happen, uh, the thing that would happen to them is that they would cease to be a people. That's what happens to the kingdom of Israel. When they're taken into exile, they cease to be a unique, distinguishable people. The kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is, maintains some semblance of a unique, um, identifiable people even in exile. And so it sounds strange to us, but this is really about Yahweh's grace. Because this is who I am. This is the kind of God I am. I want to show you grace. I don't want to be cut off from you. Not because you've earned anything, and actually quite the opposite. In spite of your hard-headed, idol-loving, rebellious ways, I won't destroy you. I won't allow it to happen. I don't want to be cut off from you. And because of God's love, because of His grace, because this is who He is, verse 10, I have refined you. I am molding and shaping you into the people I want you to be. I have tested you in the furnace of adversity, He tells the people. Again, exile was not Yahweh's neglect or lack of power. It was the consequences of Israel's action, their failure to worship Yahweh, their failure to live justly, their failure in their role to be a light for all nations. Back when God chooses them as a people, they are blessed in order to bless. They haven't done it. They haven't been the light they've been called to be. So we step back in our own time, and we've talked again about the church in exile, and we ask questions like, why is it such, why is such and such happening in our culture? Why is this happening to the church? Why is the church in the West largely facing exile? And of course, one of the first things that we want to do is blame the culture. We don't want to look within to see our own shortcomings. We'll learn more in in the coming weeks about the way of the suffering servant in Isaiah. But truth be told, we don't care much for the way of the suffering servant. We look back and we go, well, maybe that worked for Jesus. But I don't feel like being that uncomfortable. I'd rather have power and control and strength. I don't care much for suffering. Maybe it's a a failure to be a different sort of people living a different sort of life. In Sunday school, we've been talking about living questionable lives. The early church 
They lived a different sort of way. When, when plagues and famines came in the ancient world, in, in ancient Rome, those that had the means ran for the hills. They didn't want anything to do with the city because the city tended to be where the, the plagues were, had their, their most deadly effect. And we were reading in Sunday school about one of the emperors who, who looks on and goes, why is it that these followers of Jesus are staying put and caring for our poor, caring for our sick, caring for those that are impacted most by these plagues and famines? What is it about them that's different? Why are they doing this? And of course, that emperor wants to try his own version of benevolence, and it doesn't work out because it doesn't have the power of God behind it. Maybe some of the reasons we're dealing with what we are in the church in the West is a failure to really deal with our own sin and sins of the church. Yes, the church is a group of people who says we know the love of God, who celebrate Jesus coming, dying for our sins, resurrection. But you know what? I haven't, I'm not a perfect person. We still have sin. We still need to confess. We still need to grow together in Christ-likeness. Still, I can hear Jesus saying, I love you beyond measure. You are a stiff-necked, hard-headed, idol-loving, rebellious group of people, and I love you. As the poem continues in verses 12 and 13, there are reminders that Yahweh is the creator and the one who has chosen Israel. Verse 14 then, Yahweh is talking about the people leaving exile. Their time of being removed, their time of being distant, their time of not having access to uh, Jerusalem and to the temple is coming to an end. He tells them that Babylon and Assyria will experience judgment at the hands of Cyrus. And so God is rescuing the people because of God's grace, because of His character, because this is who God is, because of His name, because of His reputation. And then verse 18, God kind of, this is a little bit of a I told you so here from God. He says, oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. If you would have listened what I told you the first time, he says prosperity would have been like a river, success like the waves of the sea, offspring would have been like the sand, descendants like its grain. Think back to... Um, the story of, of God choosing Abraham and, and God sends him out and says, look up at the stars and see if you can count. This is how many your descendants are going to be. But here God's saying, you're still going to have the descendants. They're going to be growing, but it's a remnant of what it was. It's a fraction if you would have just listened and followed me and lived in the ways that I was calling you to live but a remnant will continue. And now they're called to leave this place of exile. 
there's this interesting mix of Yahweh who is doing an incredible act of redeeming and rescuing. God hasn't neglected, hasn't lost his touch while the people are in exile. God is somehow guiding the events surrounding Babylon and Persia to bring about the release from captivity. And in spite of Israel's continued rebelliousness, Yahweh is still working to redeem and release and to be back in relationship with them. And yet it becomes clear that as a whole, Israel is going to continue to struggle and fail to be the unique people God has called them to be. So in chapter 49, where we start to look at a faithful servant who is going to move this project of fulfilling God's mission forward. A faithful servant is going to have to uh, kind of intercede and stand in the place for the nation. The name of Israel in 49, the name of Israel gets transferred from the nation as a whole to a faithful individual who will stand in for the people. We read a little bit about the role of the servant in 49. Called from the womb. This is their mission. This is is their thing in life. This is the reason they're here. The servant is to bring uh, the people or to present the people before Yahweh. To serve as a light to the nations. This theme of light to the nations is going to continue to be built over the next chapters in looking at at the emerging of God's kingdom. We're going to be reading a lot about um, what God's kingdom looks like in, in, in Isaiah's vision here. This is part of the the new thing happening, that Yahweh is advancing the project of blessing all nations through Israel and now through one person who will stand in for the nation. The restoration of Israel is something that will call all people to Yahweh, call all people to God. That's what we're reading about in 49. So who is this servant? Well, the immediate context looks for someone close at hand, the, the immediate um, reading and, and, and prophesying, possibly the prophet or, or a prophet who is going to help lead faithfully. 49 verse 7, the, the servant, we're told, is a lowly outcast who will nonetheless be celebrated in some way. It's no wonder why the early followers of Jesus who were steeped in these words of Isaiah, who had studied and memorized and and meditated on them day and night and then had experienced the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus are going, wait a minute. Isaiah said something about this. Isaiah talked about a servant who is going to be rejected and suffer, who is going to die, who is going to stand in the place of the people. They're going, God has done this in Jesus in a fuller way, in a fuller expression than what the the initial uh, prophet could have imagined, could have dreamed. Fuller connections of a suffering servant being raised up. 
Again, we'll, I'll invite you to come back next week and see some more connections of the suffering servant next week. Even with the servant coming, the promise uh, of rescue from Babylon in, in chapter 49, verses 14, uh, God says, but Zion, that's a stand-in for uh, the people of Judah, uh, Israel, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Even at this point, there are people going, God, you've forgotten us. Why are we here? Where are you at? Why aren't you powerful? Why, why aren't you fixing this? There's still people sitting there going, woe is us. And Yahweh says, there's no way. There's no way I, I can forget you. Can a mother forget forget its infant child, and even if that could happen, I won't forget about you. I love you. I care for you. I'm I'm not going to forget. I haven't forgotten. I haven't stopped being God. I'm building you up. I'm not tearing you down. Look around and see what's happening. See what God is doing. So I... Reading through the text and trying to figure out what, it, what it's saying is one thing. Trying to hear about what God's uh, teaching in, in some of these sections is maybe a little bit different. And so I've been sitting there puzzling over, God, what are you teaching me in this? One of those things is that growing in faithfulness is often uncomfortable. Yahweh says He is refining Israel because He loves them, because He cares about them, because He wants them to be the people He longs for them to be. And so He's refining them because they have not been obedient, because they have been rebellious, and God knows they can be more. So much of the time we want comfortable Christianity. We want... It, one issue, we want one way to see things. When, whenever I think about this, it, there's a, the, the old gospel song, you know, give me that old time religion, it's good enough for me. But I think so much of the time, especially in exile, it's a little more complicated than that. I think real lived faithfulness with people especially in exile, can be difficult, can be hard. I see a people here in Isaiah that despite Yahweh's grace, despite redemption, despite rescue, despite the huge restoration of not just of the people of Israel, But what God is talking about in in the second part of Isaiah is this restoration of the universe, the cosmos, that God is transforming and making it the way God initially intended. That's a huge project. Yahweh is beginning to work all of this through Israel, and despite that, there's a group of people rehearsing the same old laments, where's God? We feel forgotten. Isn't it a shame? Instead of lifting their eyes and seeing the thing that God is doing, the new thing, 
instead of participating in this massive redemption project, the launching of the kingdom, some are stuck. And we can all get stuck in destructive patterns. I can get stuck in destructive patterns. God, where are you at? God, why isn't it going right? Why isn't this happening? Where are you at? If you want to find bad things happening, you can find them around us. I hesitate to share this next part. It's highlighted in my notes because, you know, it's like you get there and whether the Spirit leads or not is whether you say it or not. So let's find out. I don't often watch much of the news because I can get sucked in. And I don't care what news channel you turn on, it's a negative twist on whatever, okay? And it sucks you in. Something very addictive about all that negativity. There was a lot that happened this week in the news. Some good, some bad, some very confusing. And I spent much of the week feeling tired from it all. And truth be told, you asked me after the service, I didn't come up with any aha moments. But Friday night, and I'm, forgive me, I keep coming back to this, but it happened this week, and so that's my lived experience. I'll share it with you. Friday night, we had a food truck event. And look, it's not the end-all, be-all. But I'll tell you what. I got a glimpse of the kingdom. And people of very diverse backgrounds, people from all over the world, people with different views on all of the news that had happened in the week, people with different sized dogs, some people that, I don't know, maybe there were people there that didn't like dogs, I don't know. People that were rich, people that were poor, we sat down together and we ate and we shared fellowship, we shared relationship, we shared community. Does that mean that all of the stuff that happened in the news isn't important? Maybe, no, maybe it is really important. Does it mean that I had it all figured out? Absolutely, I didn't have anything figured out. But experiencing for a moment that in the kingdom of God there is enough and people are loved and cared for, people from different tribes and nations, people from different backgrounds, rich and poor, different perspectives, sitting down to share table fellowship. Because of who God is. Because of His character. Because of His very name, God chooses to display His abundant grace to a stiff-necked, hard-headed people. And if that's not good news, I don't know what is. 
because stiff-necked, hard-headed, right here. And God shows us grace. And it is through the suffering servant who restores not only Israel, but makes a way for humanity and all creation to be remade in new heavens and earth with restored relationship. This is the new thing. This is the the thing that I think Isaiah the prophet is so excited about. To see what God is doing. Lift up your eyes and look at what God is doing. Look at the deliverance. Look at the freedom. Look at the restoration. Look at how God loves you and cares for you and shows you grace beyond measure. This is the good news that the the 12 apostles and, and, and the unnamed apostles and the women surrounding Jesus, this is the good news that they go and they proclaim in a fuller expression because they've seen and witnessed the suffering servant who comes and lives, who stands in the place, who dies for the sins, who is resurrected, who conquers sin and death and the grave that we all might be restored to relationship. May it be so. May it be so. I'm going to invite us to uh, stand, turn in the blue hymnal or watch on the screens. Uh, In the blue hymnal, it's number 344. I will sing of my Redeemer. Let us stand and let's sing out as we sing about our Redeemer.